Well, let's pray. Let's continue to pray a little bit and ask the Lord what he wants to say to us. Let's center ourselves in him and, and see what, how he wants to mess with us this morning and how he wants us to respond to what he says. So, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that we can cry out to you and you deliver every time. We thank you that you are our God who wants us, who wants to be with us and never stops moving towards us. We thank you. But Lord, what would you like to say to us this morning and how would you have us respond? We want to be faithful as you are faithful. We've all brought in things from the, the context we live in. Some challenging, some good, some all the above. Whatever we've carried in, Lord, I ask that you would meet us in those places. And they would not be things that distract us from you, but lead us toward you. And that would be open, we would be open to what you have to say to us. No matter how cynical we might be, or the opposite of that. We want to always know that there's more. There's more in you. You're that big. So we thank you. We ask that you would speak life. We ask that you would bless your word this morning that it would not fall on deaf ears or hearts. But we would hear what you want us to hear. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you look, everyone look at the front of your bulletin. Could you do that with me? One, it just gives the impression you read it, and that's good for my soul. Do you see Romans on there? Look harder. Do you see Romans on there? Look really hard. Yeah, it's not there. <laughs> oh, thank you. That was just my uh, in, in praying uh, after Easter... We were going to go into Romans, continue Romans. So right now, uh, the Lord has kind of put the brakes on that for a few weeks. We're going to get back into it in a couple weeks. But one of the things that um, we prayed into is, Lord, we always say, even though we, we think we have a direction, we go, Lord, what are you saying? And what we heard is that Easter's not done yet. We need to talk about this some more. Because so often in, our, in, in the church calendar, we ramp up for certain calendar dates in the church, Correct? What are the big two? Christmas and Easter. And churches all over the world, they amp up. They try to bring their very best on those days because a lot of times those days are outreach. They're, they're a way to uh, minister to those who don't know Jesus. And those are all good things. Amen? It's good. We want to minister. But sometimes we just leave these pivotal points in our relationship with Jesus on these pivotal calendar dates, and then we just kind of move on. And something we have to remember, even though we know, but something we have to remember is that the resurrection, the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is an everyday reality for the follower of Jesus. An everyday reality. And it's not something we just celebrate, yay, he's risen, he's risen indeed. We could say that every day. And so what we want to explore a little bit is after Jesus raised from the dead, what happened between his resurrection and what we see happen in Acts with the Pentecost? Because there's a lot of things that happen 
with the disciples of Jesus that are worth looking at because they teach us something. How many of you have lived in a certain truth that is true, it's good, but it changes and it feels like it's been taken from you? Anybody? Could be a relationship. It could be a friend you thought was a friend and you find out what? They're not as good a friend. But you experience certain life and that life is taken from you. What do you do? How do you respond? When we look in the scriptures, we see that the disciples who've been walking with Jesus, the 12 who've been, well, now the 11 because of Judas's death, but they've been walking with Jesus for three years and have come to love him deeply. And here's the Messiah in front of them who has died. How do you think they feel? Because we can pass that. We can go, yeah, 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 but he raised and everything's all good. No, there's a moment in our, in the history of humanity where these guys are tormented by the fact they just lost their rabbi, their friend, their Lord. This life that they've experienced day in and day out for three years, seen things they could not possibly imagine. They've only heard about in the, in the Torah and in and some of the writings and word of mouth, they now have experienced on a daily basis. John, the disciple, says at the end of his, uh, in the end of his gospel account that the things that he recorded are just minuscule amount of things compared to what Jesus did that he could not fill in all the pages in all the world. So what they saw Jesus do, we only get a glimpse of. Let that sink in for a minute. So they see him do extraordinary things. They see someone that is living the tension of the world and holds it in his hands so beautifully. They see a a God man who makes the Pharisees who know the law inside and out look like fools. Now imagine this. Imagine seeing all they've seen That in itself is pretty miraculous, isn't it? And then what happens? He dies on the cross. An innocent man. Taken from them. And though Jesus gave signs and words and this is going to happen, they don't want to believe it. Would you want to believe it? Would you? No. And then he raises... Now, this is where we're going to start because this, there's a whole lot here and we want to spend it just a few weeks just talking about it because I think it does feed into this tension for us. How do we sit in the tension? Because I know in my life, how I respond with Jesus changes with the context that I am, I'm in. I'm not saying his character changes. What I'm saying is that there are seasons of my life that change. Don't yours And I find ways I've connected with Jesus before are not going to be the same ways I connect to him now. Some maybe, yes, but some not so much. Raise your hand if you know what I'm referring to. Okay. And there's a tension there. So what you know that's life-giving familiar is taken from you. How do we respond? So we're going to look at Peter's life a little bit because that's one. Peter's life is a gift for us. Because it gives us permission to fail and to learn from those failings that will draw us nearer to Jesus. One of the challenging things in a lot of churches is that there's not space to fail. I'm not talking about purposefully sinning. 
Do you get your relationship right with Jesus all the time? No. If the expectation for me was that you get it right all the time, would you probably be here? No. We need space to fail. And Peter shows that Jesus shows us that in his presence, as we're moving towards him, we're going to make mistakes. And Jesus still engages us in the midst of those mistakes. Because Peter is one of the most well-intentioned people on the planet Earth. I mean, he loves Jesus ruthlessly. Ruthlessly. And he fails. And does Jesus leave him? No, he keeps going after him. And so we want to look at that this morning. When Jesus raises from the dead, you have the gals at the tomb and they're, they're you know, visited by the angels and he's risen. Most of us know this. They go back and report it. And most of the disciples don't want to believe. They don't want to believe that this happened. And they don't. But Peter, guess what he does? He runs straight to the tomb. We see at the end of Luke. He runs straight to the tomb and he sees that what the gals said is true. But he does something. He doesn't go, yes, he's risen. And then, uh, you know, a whole group of angels said, he's risen indeed. No, it didn't happen. (laughs) Didn't happen that way. He goes, where'd he go? Where did he go? And then Peter leaves. And this is where... Um, we pick up with Peter because this is the first time uh, definitively that we know and see that uh, he encounters Jesus for the first time. So in John chapter 21, uh, I want to read this to you. You just receive, if you want to follow along, you may. Um, I hope you have your Bibles. Everyone should, I, I would like everyone to bring their Bible. Can you do that? Either the hard copy or the digital So just to set it up here, Peter, guess what he does? At nighttime, which was a a good time for uh, Jewish fishermen to go fishing. It's when they like to go fishing. He goes to what he knows, fishing. He knows the tomb's empty. He doesn't know where Jesus is. So what does he do? He goes and starts a ministry. No. Not yet. He goes fishing. How many of you go to your default when your world is blown up? We go to our default. We go to what we know because it's what we know. It's a known zone. There's no surprises in the known zone. So Peter does what all human beings would do. He goes to his default and he takes some of the guys with him and they go fishing. And John is with them as well. And this is what happens. The disciple, verse 7, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, and this is after Jesus says, throw your nets over the side. They couldn't catch fish. Now they're getting more fish and they know what to do with. They can't pull it in. And the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Boom. It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter Heard him say, it is the Lord. He wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire, a burning coals there with fish on it, and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. 
And Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, about 153, but, many, but even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. <sighs> okay. Peter's got a thing with boats. I mean, you notice this? Because every, every preacher that I know has always preached with uh, Peter walking on water with Jesus. He got out of the boat. Yeah! He got out of the boat and then he, then he got scared and he sank. I don't see it as victorious as, much, as many as some. I mean, yes, he got out of the boat, but he sees it's Jesus walking on water. And I'm telling you, if Jesus told me, if Jesus is walking on water and he tells me to come to him, I'm pretty confident that I'm going to be able to walk on water because that is insane. And, but here's what happens. Do you remember the scene? His eyes are fixed on Jesus. He's walking on water and his eyes are fixed on Jesus. He's not looking down. We're not told he's looking down like, oh my goodness, I'm walking on water. He's being drawn to Jesus. But what does distract him? The waves. The waves. The waves distract him. And when he takes his eyes off Jesus and he looks at the waves, what happens to Peter? He sinks. And then what does Jesus do? Yeah. And what you'll find is in Acts chapter 3, John does the same thing with the crippled man outside of beautiful. Or excuse me, Peter does. Peter and John both. But Peter looks at him and says, you look at me, keep your eyes on me. I don't have gold and I don't have this stuff, but what I do have, I give to you. Walk in the name of Jesus. And what does he do? He pulls him up. Okay. But there's something here. So Peter, Peter is learning some things. Now we have another boat scene with Peter and Jesus. And Peter it's not about walking. It's not about being drawn towards him and having, him, having Jesus ask him to come to him. He sees Jesus, and what does he do? He takes his cloak, he wraps it around, and he jumps in the water. Now, I've always thought it's kind of weird that he would put more clothing on him to jump in the water. Doesn't that sound kind of weird? Like, I want less, right? You don't see swimmers, Olympic swimmers, swimming in three-piece suits. You see them swimming in Speedos, right? I mean, there's something about that. But in the Jewish traditions, okay, a, um, a greeting was a religious experience. And for a greeting, you needed to be fully clothed. And so Peter knew he was going to have an encounter with his rabbi, so he put on his clothes, I think that's pretty cool. And he went after him. And he didn't have to ask if it was Jesus. He knew. Was the context different? Yes or no? Yes. Did he probably look a little different? We know he did. We know he did. I don't know what looked different, but people couldn't recognize him. And a lot of that is when someone you think is dead, you're not expecting to see them again, correct? All right. So that in itself will mess with you. But Peter knows there's something there that he knows, and he ruthlessly goes after him. His context has changed. He has made all kinds of errors, but his love and his pursuit for Jesus doesn't change because his circumstances did. Now, he may have hit his default, but that's where Jesus still comes after us when we hit our default. He never stops pursuing you or I. Even after he raised from the dead, he kept going after them. 
Even when these guys are like, no, even when Thomas is like, I want to feel the wounds. I need to see it with my own eyes. I need to touch his flesh. Jesus still went after him. He said, fine. And he gave, he, you know, he did give a little rebuttal to that about faith. But he always walked his guys through their failure so that they could draw nearer. Do you see Jesus condemning them right away? No. There might be a rebuke, but that rebuke leads to deeper intimacy and proximity to Jesus, not separation from. And then what we see, Jesus and Peter, I mean, imagine this. You see Jesus, you're Peter, you see Jesus, you jump out of the boat, you're ready to go, yet you are just so, you don't know what's happening. You know there was an empty tomb, but you don't know what happened to him. And here he is standing before you. You swim, you get over there, and I bet you dollars to donuts. Is that still a phrase? I don't know if it is. Sure. Okay. When he's eating with Jesus and this and that, once it sinks in, he's sitting with Jesus. What would be a human thing to do? Say that again. Whoever said that? Regret. Regret. Now you're faced with what you did or didn't do. You think Jesus knows this? Okay. And does Jesus let him sit in that? No. He engages him in it. He encourages him and releases him. And this is what he says. When Jesus, or excuse me, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Now, when we see that in the Greek, I want to make this clear. When it says truly love me, it means with all your will, with everything that you have, not just lovey-dovey or I love my family member. I mean, everything that you can possibly muster up. Do you truly love me? More than these, more than the people, more than anything, more than the fishing, more than anything that brings any sense of value or significance outside of Jesus. Do you love me more than any of these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, my son, or excuse me, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep and I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went, where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. So what does this have to do with tension? What does that have to do with us? We can so easily get into our original encounters with Jesus, that when life begins to rob us of those encounters that have formed us, we can go back to what we know. 
when there's more life to be had. See, the thing about Easter and Christmas, it almost feels like an encounter of redemption. The year happens and we come into Easter and we feel good. We hear a good message and we feel good. Who's with me on that? And you feel encouraged and you're like, yes, life can happen again. I can breathe again. I can smell the flowers. I, whoa, there's vibrancy in my life. And then Monday hits and you're going back to the same thing. And then many of us as Christians live off of the one encounter we had with Jesus. And then we find years after it's just not enough because we rely on only that one encounter. And many of us could see Jesus from the shore like Peter did and still stay in the boat. And this is where I would say Peter got out of the boat. Not the other one, this one. Peter got out of the boat. When I was growing up, I couldn't wait to go to camp, church camp. It was awesome. Because you were surrounded by people who are trying to get you closer to Jesus. And that's truly really what I wanted even though I probably didn't live that way because in school I just wanted to survive. I wanted to survive. I lived in a rich town, and in that rich town I was considered, not to the rest of the world, but in that town, extremely poor. And so I got criticized for that, got criticized for being a pastor's kid. I got criticized for being short and goofy looking and all those things. And so when I got to camp, it was my atmosphere. It was what I wanted to be. And I would have these encounters with Jesus that were amazing. They were amazing. Because no one was preventing you from worshiping. No one was preventing you from learning about Jesus and talking about Jesus with your peers. But then when you get down the mountain, you know where I'm going with this. When you get down the mountain, life tests what you know. And I remember that I would try to survive off just those encounters. And those encounters became less life and more memory, hoping those memories would cause my heart to beat again. But it wasn't enough because I was engaging in memory, not Jesus himself. As a youth pastor, I saw that same thing. You see these kids that are struggling, you take them to camp and it's a wonderful thing. And you see them come to Jesus. And maybe... It'll last a month. If you're really blessed, it'll last a month. But if you're not being discipled, if you're not learning to having someone walk with you to really engage Jesus, then guess what happens? You're trying to survive off that one encounter. And those encounters are important because they form us. But there's more that God wants to do. Yes or no? There's more after saying yes to Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's one of the greatest things we can do. But if we leave it at just the decision and not step into the life of that decision, we will miss him. But he's always coming after us. Peter had moments where he missed Jesus. But the moments that he saw him, he went after him. Because he couldn't live in pre-resurrection any longer. He had to deal with the fact that things were different. And when he saw Jesus, even in his default mode, he got out of the boat. He wrapped himself um, in his robes as a sign of honor, and he swam to shore. None of the other guys did. He did. Not the disciple whom Jesus loved, John. No, no, they were in the boat. Peter got out. There are going to be ebbs and flows in life. There are going to be seasons of life where we try to survive off a memory. It's not good enough. 
Jesus is coming after us every single day. And there'll be times we miss him. But when we don't, when we see him, are we going to retreat because it's been a long time since we've engaged him? Or are we going to engage him and go after him with all the questions and the unknowns that surround it? He is always the constant known. How many have said in your prayer time, Lord, I just want to know where you, where you are leading me. Anyone ever say that? In conversation? I'm trying to discern where Jesus is leading me. Come on now. All right, thank you, thank you. Misery loves company. Okay, so we keep those. All right. We do, don't we? Where? I need to know Why? Because it'll make me feel less fear, right? If we know something, we can prepare. But that's all on our strength and in our control. And Peter had no control over anything except to run to Jesus. That's all you're asked to do. Let him, let him take care of where you're going. It doesn't matter where you're going. It matters who you're going there with. Believe me, if I was going to Costa Rica... A beautiful place I hear with a lot of people I don't like, I don't think I want to go. But if I'm going to a place that I don't want to go to and I go with Jesus, then it don't matter. It doesn't matter. We put too much on the destination, not enough with the person we're with. And Peter didn't care in that moment. And remember, we just read... God, Jesus was giving him a foreshadowing of how he was going to die. And history would say, uh, the popular opinion is that he was crucified upside down. I mean, that's not, whoa. Didn't matter. And then we get into Acts. And we see Peter what? He becomes a rock star. And I don't mean that in an ego way. I mean, this guy begins to get it. Jesus is everything. See, in Acts chapter 3, when he when he encounters that cripple outside the gate called beautiful on his way to temple, we can get caught up in the physical manifestations of this miracle. But I think the most important thing is what we see Peter learned in the first engagement where he said, look at me. Don't take your eyes off me because I see you. And in that culture, you didn't look at the beggars because guess what? They had no social status. You don't look at them. So Peter broke the rules and he looked at this guy and he said, look at me because I'm looking at you. I see you. That is a huge encouragement to us because what he's doing is he is modeling what Jesus did to him when he sunk in the water. When our context changes, it doesn't matter because Jesus doesn't change. He will always go after you. And he says, fix your eyes on me because my eyes never leave you. My eyes never leave you. His resurrection is that hope that says to us, he has taken the punishment so our eyes can always be fixed on him, so that we can always be with him. It is not a once a year celebration. It is an every single day, 24-7 reality we are to embrace that says to us, he will never stop going after us, ever. So this is worth mining down in. Amen? All right. I'm preached out.
Just kidding. Kind of. I love Peter because he's flawed and in love with Jesus. And he could have easily lived in his, the guilt of his flaws and his mistakes. But when he recognizes the king in front of him, he goes after him. We see Jesus. It's time, it's time that we go after him and not hit the default. Because the more we hit that default, the more life we're robbing from ourselves. And it doesn't matter where he takes us, it's, it's the fact that we're gonna be with him. Look, I didn't plan on going to Minnesota. <laughs> I wasn't into the do, to-do list, but I love it because I'm with him. He's let me see a beauty in the midst of what I thought would be very challenging. Has there been challenges? Yeah. But he's here and he's breathing life. So no matter what you are going through, no matter if you're like, I, I don't know if I see Jesus, continue to wrestle with that and continue to go after him. He's not hiding. Sometimes we say, well, he just left. No, no. He's there. So Lord, help us see. And when you see him, let's not hesitate. Sometimes we want an instruction manual on what to do when we see him. Jump out of the boat And it probably wasn't a graceful jump either. And the words of Seinfeld is probably a full body dry heave in midair. He just went after him. Church, that's what we're called to do. He is the head of the church. We are his body. We need to ruthlessly go after him. Amen? Lord, we thank you and we praise you for who you are. We thank you for these guys you spent three years with and what you did in them and how it's now come to us and we're learning, we're wrestling. And I pray that you continue to make this place, not just the building, but the people here at Bridgewood, everyone here, a safe place to be with you, a safe place to fail, but to learn and to engage you in a way that intimacy continues to increase. Proximity to you continues to increase. And I pray against that temptation to go to the default when the context of our lives change. It's easy to retreat when those encounters that we've had with you in the past have formed us and we don't know how to move on from that, but there are more encounters with you that are to be had that will continue to give us shape and form, not just one moment. That's the starting line. But if we continue to hit default, we will miss those encounters that form us and make us look more like you. So I pray in Jesus' name that you would help us pace with you, identify you, and have that passion to ruthlessly go after you, no matter how we may look in the process and continue to put the right people around us at the right time and place to encourage us to identify you and to go after you because you are always going after us. We don't want to take our gaze off of you. 
So we thank you. And Lord, we ask as we take our tithes and offerings that we would give out of faith in you. That we would not be afraid to give. Thank you for all that you are doing. But more importantly, I thank you for who you are. We ask that you bless this time of worship, that we would engage you, that we would cause a ruckus in this place because we, we want to worship you because you are worthy to be worshiped. You are worthy of all our praise. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
praise your faithfulness I will rest in your promises my confidence is your faithfulness and I will rest in your promises my confidence is your faithfulness I will rest in your promises my confidence is your faithfulness faithful you are faithful forever you will be faithful you are and all your promises are yes and amen all your promises Yeah.